Welcome to Unpacking Bexley, where we'll be exploring and analyzing the many different aspects of life and culture in the city of Bexley. We'll be doing this through interviews, local community members, historians, and other experts as well, covering a wide range of topics that are important to people here in Bexley. I'm your friendly neighbor, Spencer Cahoon, member of Bexley DEI. I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Stacey Grossman, also a member of Bexley DEI and fellow community member. Yes, and I believe you're the president of the Historical Society now? Yes. Let's not leave that out. (laughs) History matters, as we're going to talk about in a second. Yes. So we've come to you today with something that has been the talk of the town. And the talk of the town right now is issue one, because we're coming up for an election on issue one. Stacey, have you or your neighbors been talking about issue one? I have not talked about it with my neighbors, but it is something that I feel very strongly about. I have brought it up in conversation with a few other people. It's something that I actually voted early and oh, um, am encouraging people to go out and vote early on as well. How about you? Have you talked about it with your friends and neighbors? I have had a number of neighbors uh, reach out to me with questions about it. So I have. Plus, it's something I've been initiating conversations about. But you say you haven't been talking to your friends and neighbors, but today's the day because now we're talking to all of our friends and neighbors. True. So issue one, let's give you a really quick rundown for people who need this fast to go out and make a decision and don't want to get into the weeds. Issue one is a proposed constitutional amendment, and it would change the way voting works for future constitutional amendments. Specifically, it would change the amount of people who need to vote in favor of an amendment from 50% of the population plus one basic majority to 60% or a supermajority. Additionally, it would change the way one has to collect signatures to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot from covering 44 of Ohio's 88 counties or half the counties to require every single one of those counties, all 88. And right now, If you're collecting signatures and some of them don't pan out, which is always true because people move and there's all sorts of technical reasons that signatures aren't counted as valid. Right now, after the secretary reviews those, you have a 10-day cure period to go out and get some extra signatures if you fall a little bit short. For instance, right now, the marijuana legalization folks turned in 120,000 some signatures, but they were 700 short relative to what they needed. So they're in the cure period trying to deal with that. This change will eliminate the cure period. So now you either have the right number of signatures and it gets on the ballot or you don't and you have to start from the beginning. So 50% to 60%, 44 counties to 88 counties and eliminate the 10 day cure period. That's what this amendment does. And to be fair, it does it specifically to try to get in ahead during this special election of the upcoming reproductive rights amendment that's gonna be on the November ballot. All right. Does that sound like a fair summary, Stacey? Yeah. And to put that into perspective, and I think that you, in one of our earlier conversations about it, it only takes one of those 88 counties to vote for or against in order to block the vote from moving forward, if this were to take effect. Yeah. One of the, one of, I think the more persuasive things I've heard is that change to 88 counties means that even if you have a county that's 15,000 or below, and we have a few of those counties in the state, which is essentially the size of the city of Bexley, if someone goes and campaigns there and says, don't sign the petition, 
and folks don't, that one county that represents less than 1% of the population can functionally veto something from even being voted on by everyone else, which seems crazy in a democracy. But here we are, crazy days. Right. And it just almost eliminates the majority of the 50% plus one. It turns it into a minority control. Yeah, it does. So that's concerning for those of us who appreciate majority rule. And I think we've become accustomed to that. And we think it's generally a good way of decision making. If you've been listening to the TV messages or some of the radio messages or the battling back and forth on the political front, it can sound like this is a very partisan issue, like it's a Republicans pushing forward for yes for issue one and Democrats pushing no. But if you look a little bit deeper into who's saying what, I think you'll see there's actually a pretty bipartisan no campaign. Um, If you look at some of the media, all of the current living Ohio governors, so that's four governors, two Republicans, two Democrats have gone public saying this is a bad idea. We shouldn't do this. That includes Bob Taft, Republican, John Kasich, Republican, Dick Celeste, and Ted Strickland, both Democrats. In addition to that, five of Ohio's prior attorney generals have also come out in opposition, also a bipartisan group of folks, Richard Cordray, Lee Fisher, Betty Montgomery, James Petro, and Nancy Rogers. So these are all very high-level political folks in Ohio's recent and slightly further back past of both parties who are, who are saying this is a terrible idea. So you don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat to feel a particular way. This is a good governance issue. Mm-hmm. Yes, it sounds like it's a nonpartisan issue in this respect. So if you've been hearing the, the hype about it, just keep in mind, each piece of hype is being pushed by some particular interest. And they have a reason to make it seem like the people who listen to them are part of one side or another. But it's really a lot more nuanced in this case. Let's talk about what the impact would be. Like, why are Republican and Democratic governors coming out from Ohio and saying this is a bad idea? Right now, we're talking about in terms of the Reproductive Freedom Amendment, or basically about abortion. But it's not just about abortion, because this affects everything moving forward after it. Governor Taft, again, Republican, came out and said some of the big things that happened during his administration were big capital projects that had to be brought constitutionally to the voters, like the Clean Ohio Fund and the Third Frontier Project, both of which would not have passed if we raised the threshold to 60%. And that Third Frontier Project, that was about technology-based economic development. So economic development, very core sort of government focus. And then the Clean Ohio Fund is brownfield remediation, recreational paths, preserving farmland, small family farms, and open spaces in the state. And these are things that really change and impact our lives that were popularly voted for during their time and have been in effect for years. And I think one could even say that Third Frontier Project technology focus has helped us get into a place where the big Intel plant that's coming decided to site itself here. Mm -hmm. So these are things that have paid dividends for our larger community and our state and things that may not be possible if we make this change in a short-sighted way that only focuses on one amendment coming up on the next ballot. What are some of the impacts that really stand out to you, Stacey? Well, in some ways, I feel like it would 
severely limit the capability to make constitutional change. I am not always a proponent of it, but having the option to do so, I think is important in a democratic society. Um, and to be quite honest with you, um, I am a big healthcare advocate, and I believe that I don't want it to try and strip away any rights from any person in a healthcare perspective. Um, reproductive rights is mm -hmm. a very divisive issue, and I understand that, but um, being able to have access to it, I think, is extremely important for everyone in the state of Ohio and in the country. And issue one would severely limit that and open up the possibility of pushing all the progress that we have made back. Mm -hmm. So those are the the two main reactions that I'm having to it. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And there there are a lot of things going on in the long term that this will impact. And in the short term, how it's going to affect reproductive rights and women's choices and options, that's front and center, which is why we keep hearing about it again and again. There are going to be a lot of people making some very difficult decisions if that amendment doesn't pass in November. Although there's a lot more to talk about that. We could spend an entire episode talking about the fight that there's been over that in the States and reproductive freedom. And maybe yeah, we will. We'll see. Absolutely. Why are we here? We are here basically because there is popular support for reproductive rights amendment. It polls at a little bit under 60%. The legislature set this threshold above where they saw it polling so that they could hopefully stop it. However, they've also polled supports and opposition for issue one. And right now, opposition for issue one is polling quite highly, also at about 57.2%, with over 15% of people undecided on the issue. So if you're undecided, keep listening. If you're decided, thanks for joining us. But with that many people, it, it should be easy in an election for it to be voted the way that people want. However, we're not at a regular election. We're at this August 8th special election. And any of you who follow politics closely, perhaps obsessively, our legislature eliminated special elections last December. They passed a law getting rid of them, except for political subdivisions and school boards that are in a state of fiscal emergency and need to go to their population to get funds to keep operating. This obviously isn't that. At the time, Secretary of State Frank LaRose said August special elections aren't good for taxpayers, election officials, voters, or the civic health in our state. And that was because the August 8th special election last year had an 8% turnout and that's not of people in the state. That's 8% of registered voters. So that's 92% of people not taking part. The 2020 special election, and that was a presidential year as well. So there was more people maybe activated and involved in politics. That in Cuyahoga County in Cleveland, they had a special election that had an under 7% turnout. In comparison, that same year in 2020, voter turnout for the main election a couple months later was 74% in the state. So you are seeing a tenfold difference in the amount of people who are turning out for the general election compared to a special election. And that's why we're here, because they know it's unpopular. They're trying to put it in at a time when they don't think people will vote. And the folks who brought it up are hoping they can mobilize their constituencies and that their votes will carry much more weight at a time when other people aren't voting. The core idea I think we've always had in America is 
one person, one vote, every vote matters, make your voice heard. But when you have a special vote, when everyone else isn't going to be involved, when you expect over 90% of people not to be engaged, you are inherently making your vote much more powerful. And by putting something in that space, they're hoping to take something that is an unpopular issue and change the power that we, the people, will have for years to come in the state of Ohio, maybe for the next hundred years. This is the way it's been since our founding, essentially. So this could last a very long time if we make the change. Mm -hmm. Stacey, do you remember the last time that you voted in a special election? It has been a while. <laughs> um, I, I will not lie, but I did want to vote in this one. Not that the others are not important, but this one, it's unique to Ohio. Yeah. However, one of the most concerning things to me about this is the fact that the vote yes side has been almost completely funded by people living outside of our own state mm. in order to maintain the integrity and authenticity of a true Ohio vote. I think the majority of the funding for either side should have come from within the state. So there are some people out there who are very scared about the way this election will result, what the results will be. The majority of that, which is 82.5% or $4 million worth, is from a billionaire in Illinois, Richard Uline. Others have sent in hundreds of thousands. And then, of course, within the state, there have been some people that have, but nothing that matches that $4 million that was sent in out of state. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, this has somebody very scared. And I think that this is a very critical and crucial election to keep in mind for people to go out and exercise their right to vote. It seems inherently distasteful that a measure that limits the power of all the individual residents of Ohio to make changes to how we govern ourselves would be funded by interests out of state, taking away our power. Like, Absolutely. am I crazy here? <laughs> no, not at all. You can see there are a lot of problems with this. There are a lot of problems with how we got here. There's problems with how it's funded. There's problems with it being out of line with what people are interested in and what they want. There are problems with how it was brought at a special election instead of at the regular election because they're really trying to get in front of the reproductive rights amendment regarding abortion access in our state. However, cooler heads, all of our prior highest level Republican and Democratic governors have looked at this and said, this is not a good idea. You're hearing from us the impacts. If you care about that amendment coming up for reproductive freedom or other amendments in the future and good governance in general, there's a lot to be worried about here. And that's really why you need to get out. So you can vote on August 8th at your polling place. I'll be at Montrose. So if you're voting at Montrose, I'll see you there. Uh, but if not, if that's not a good day for you, you've got work, family obligations, early voting is available. You can run by the Franklin County Board of Elections up on Morse Road. They have extended early voting. If you already have an absentee ballot, you can still submit that. Technically, you can still request, but the requests have to be in at least seven days prior to the vote, and they have to receive the absentee ballot by August 8th. It's not good enough just to have it in the mail. If you have it in the mail and they don't get it by August 8th, it doesn't count. So if you're voting absentee, get it in the mail sooner rather than later. And if you're not, that early voting is available, or you can just go to your polling place locally here. So Stacy, before we run it down as a summary, what else should we know about this or should we be thinking about before we go in to cast that vote? 
in some ways, what I'm thinking of is I'm grateful that this was not included as a rider on a different bill or piece of legislation. It is independent, so it does allow us to give the opportunity to highlight it. However, this reminds me of a very C-SPAN thing to do where it's a two o'clock in the morning showing and not many people would be up or available to come in and vote on an issue and some things would pass without people knowing. So public transparency, but through secrecy as well. I'm grateful that we're able to look at this issue in and of itself and on its own. However, if people were not paying attention, then it is very possible this would pass without any type of notice until an after-the-fact moment occurred. So I'm grateful that you and I and a lot of others out there are able to discuss this and encourage people to look into it and to get out and vote. And I'm grateful that, um, you know, we have the opportunity to treat it as we would a regular election where there is early voting, absentee voting, just please anybody who has not voted yet, but is planning on it. Don't forget to bring a valid form of ID with you. So that way your vote counts, whichever way you decide to Mm. vote, you know, just please look into the issue itself to make a strong decision about what you're voting on. Sometimes the media doesn't always portray it in the light that you need to see it. Yeah, in, in a order level, to make that informative sort of way. Yes, to, to get that informative vote. And if I can just amplify that comment you made about voting ID, we have changed our voter ID laws probably since you were last out to vote. So th- that's a great comment. A driver's license will still work. A driver's license is probably your best way to go. If you have a U.S. passport, that'll work also. Military ID, that's good. If you're a college student and you have college ID, that will not work. You do need to have a photo ID from your state from this state. If you don't have an ID and you want to get out to vote, you can go to the BMV. They will get you a free state ID that meets the qualifications you need to vote. You can run down to the quick service center over on Alum Creek. That's only a few minutes away and they'll get your process there and then you'll be good to go for voting. But do remember to bring that driver's license with you. Utility bills won't work anymore. Bank statements won't work. Most of the stuff that people use as a backup in the past just isn't any good anymore. So driver's license is really that gold standard passports too. If you don't have one, go grab one. Because they made the standards so restrictive, they are giving them out for free at the BMV now. So you can go in with some of those documents you could have previously used to vote, get your free ID, and then take that ID and then go vote. And you'll have that ID for years. All right. So in summary, if you want to support the continuance of majority rule in the state of Ohio when we amend our constitution, then you should be voting no. If you want the state to retain the important tools we've used for economic development and other issues by our elected officials in the past, we should also be voting no. And even if abortion is your cardinal concern, let me suggest you don't vote to silence other people's voices. Instead, use your own voice to persuade so that you can win at the November ballot on that issue. And I would ask that you also vote no on August 8th. everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you can get each episode of Unpacking Bexley as it's released. Listen and subscribe for free on all your favorite podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcasts can be found. Thank you to all our Bexley friends and neighbors who help make our community the wonderful and ever-improving place that it is. We'll see you next time on Unpacking Bexley.